Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay, so maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find Singletracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Maurice Tierney. Maurice and his partner Elaine started Dirt Rag back in 1989 as a 16-page black-and-white zine that was passed among friends. For decades, the magazine documented the sport, and for many, it carried with it the really the soul of mountain biking. So thanks so much for joining us, Maurice. Hey, you bet. So take us back to 1989. What did mountain biking mean to you at that time? Well, I, I just started reading bike magazines and oh. uh, saw an ad for a $500 mail order Supergo access with Salza approved stem and uh, RM25 rims and Dior components. It was a really mm-hmm. good value for $500, but it didn't really make too many friends at the bike shops I was visiting <laughs> after that. But I, you know, I just really got into it and really got passionate really quickly and bought myself this mountain bike for Christmas of 1987. And by the end of 88, we were planning on launching Dirt Rag. That's a fast start. Yeah. And I, I can't really remember, you know, I'm just putting, putting it together, the, putting the memory together by, by the dates and going, boy. You were really into that and holy smokes. Yeah. You just really went for it. And, um, were you doing biking before that? Like, were you, were you doing BMX or road or anything? Or uh, it's just like a brand new thing for you. I I've always ridden. I've always ridden bicycles, um, for fun and freedom and transportation. Mm-hmm. In the eighties, I'd been, I had a touring bike and I, used it to do some centuries and, you know, some recreational road riding. Mm-hmm. But this this mountain bike thing was uh, happening and it looked pretty cool. Well, did you see at that time like a specific need for a publication like Dirt Rag? Or was this more of like a creative outlet for you personally? I mean, did you, were you even like in media or journalism or anything at the time? Well, I was a professional photographer and... Okay. Uh, Elaine was a copywriter at an ad agency hmm. and um, I, I was like the uh, staff photographer for the alternative news weekly called in Pittsburgh oh, and okay. they had hooked me up. Yeah. They had hooked me up with some software, some page maker. And it was like, uh, Whoa, you know, you, you, you <laughs> launched that program and well, there's a blank page and yeah. you know, this looks gee, maybe we should publish something. 
<laughs> um, you know, and I, a lot of the, a lot of the motivation was to like be part of the, you know, be on the inside of the business, mm -hmm. you know, and not just yeah. be, uh, not just be a consumer, but be part of the, part of the sport and, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just having journalistic tendencies in general and, um, we just did it. I, I you know, I, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't like a plan. It wasn't like, right. Oh, this is, this is the job I could do. Or like, I can make some money doing this. It was, it's more just like, I could do this. So why not? Yeah. I mean, I guess we figured, well, we tried to do it and <laughs> I took a prototype around to all the local bike shops and talked to all the race promoters within you know pennsylvania west virginia and ohio mm -hmm. and um we were able to sell enough ads to print the magazine so it, it wasn't it was never really a zine it was never really just a passion piece but we were like yeah we've got to sell ads to print this thing <laughs> and yeah. we have to have a subscription price mm -hmm. you know the, the it has to have a value because all you know you can print we didn't want to be like a free newsprint tabloid format right thing that's thrown around we wanted it to have one of the early decisions that we made was that we wanted it to have value and that mm -hmm. meant that subs subscribers should pay for it so uh, it was a yeah. dollar an issue uh a dollar a copy or six dollars for a year delivered that's our subscriber plan mm -hmm. and um you know we were going to uh races mountain bike races and within a day's drive every every weekend and this really gave us something to do other than just show up and ride bikes and go home yeah so um that's that's kind of the seed of it really and uh it sure was fun that is cool so dirt rag was known for years as the mountain bike forum which today you know a lot of us associate that word forum with like a, a type of a website that exists purely online but what did it mean to you in terms of publishing and community like how, how did you see the readers sort of involvement with the magazine well, I mean, we didn't have a budget to pay anyone to write anything. So mm -hmm. when we started, it was just like, hey, I'm doing this. You got any ideas for articles? <laughs> Do yeah. you want to write something? <laughs> no, you won't get paid, but I'm going to put your words in print and it's going to be awesome. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's how we started really. And, you know, and that's open to anyone. I mean, as we grew, it was a few friends when we started, but as we grew, it became just, we just wanted it to be open and have all kinds of ideas and, and print things that other magazines wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely something that comes through in the work that it is, you know, there's so many different voices that maybe you wouldn't hear and Dirt Rag was able to give them a forum. You know, that's, that's the perfect yeah. way to put it, I guess. Yeah, for many years, we chose the cover of the magazine from randomly submitted artwork. Oh, wow. And, um, 
with the only payment being the honor of being on the cover of Dirt Rag. Right. And so those days were pretty, pretty amazingly fun when I look back at it. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we would just, we would lay all this art, artwork on a table and pick one that we liked. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's, that's the, that was the charm of it until, you know, after so many years, we had to get more pro and be like, okay, we're going to solicit artwork. It's going to look good on the newsstand. We're going to mm -hmm. pay the artist, whether it's a photographer or an artist. And as we got more, you know, legit, so to speak. <laughs> um, but we, but we always tried to maintain, we always tried to maintain the, the, the forum aspect and keep it open and not try and tell everyone how it is, you know, mm -hmm. but let them just be open, you know, free, yeah. free, free thinking. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, you described starting out and, you know, sort of focusing on Pennsylvania and sort of the bordering States. So how did dirt rag go from sort of a East coast mountain bike magazine to covering mountain biking at a wider scale? Yeah, well, we just kept doing it, and people were like, yeah, this is awesome. We <laughs> like it. Um, mm -hmm. And we just grew the, I think it was the first year or two, it was Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and then we just said, okay, we're the mountain biker of the Northeast. And we included <laughs> the Northeast, and then we yeah. were like, the mountain biker of the east and then you know the whole and then and then eventually we became international in scope and i mean always published out of pittsburgh pennsylvania with mm -hmm. <laughs> with that flavor yeah. but still we had readers all around the world yeah well it seems like in the u.s mountain bike culture and a lot of the industry is based you know west of the mississippi so do you think being based in the East, did that give you like a different perspective or, or was it more challenging sort of setting up a publication, uh, in Pennsylvania? Well, at the beginning, when we only cared about the East, uh, it was fine. But then as we grew and, you know, progressed and wanted to cover the whole country, then it was, a, it was a two edged sword let's say mm -hmm. you know there was yeah. people who read us because we were the east coast zine mm -hmm. and there were ever you know there were advertisers who wanted to advertise so they could reach the east coast scene but there were you know other advertisers who thought we were too east coast <laughs> and you know so it was a it was it was a balancing game you know and Right. We always just wanted to keep doing what we're doing and doing it um, wherever people liked it. Yeah. Well, it does seem like, you know, even today, the industry kind of overlooks the East Coast in terms of the writing and the culture. And it is very different than, sure. you know, sort of the collective mountain bike culture. I think Dirt Rag was always sort of the keeper of that, the ones that like, that's what made Dirt Rag unique as well. You know, it had this perspective that nobody else was talking about, or at least not nearly as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So as a journalist, how did it feel for you to be inducted in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 2002? It was a fun day. And uh, <laughs> it was really fun when, when, um, when my friend Philip Kais introduced Elaine and I to the, to the museum and mm -hmm. Hall of Fame. And it's really great knowing all the people that I know in the mountain bike field. I've got a lot of real friends um, mm -hmm. who I'm so just so thrilled to be associated with and be friends with. And Yeah. Well, what are some of your favorite stories from over the years or the ones you're like most proud of? Well, I, you know, I, I like there's, I mean, 213 issues worth. Um, it, it's, kind <laughs> it's a of, big catalog. It's kind of all a blur, you know, it's yeah, a long, strange trip it's been. But uh, yeah. Are there uh, certain certain types of stories that, that you really enjoyed telling? Well, I mean, I think I would talk about how we were quick on our feet and were able to identify new trends like say mm -hmm. sing, single speed disc brakes. Um, That's crazy to think that, that that was a thing. I mean, that was, that was decades ago. Right. But yeah, uh, yeah. I imagine it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember writing early on what was, what it was like to ride on a suspension fork, the RockShock RS1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the original RS1. And going back and looking at that and going, this is written from the perspective of there there was no suspension before this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so, you know, suspension, I mean, the, the things that I'm most proud of are the things that you couldn't see without us. And th mm. those would be like, some of the medical articles like uh like about we did an article about ticks you know uh -huh. we did some articles on first aid or some of the art that we published that yeah was, you know some of it really amazing professional art and some of it kind of more like folk art but mm -hmm. still just really amazing and and some of the interviews and travels we've had yeah. So you've been covering the mountain bike industry since the first days when it really was considered an industry and, and, you know, this transition from being a collection of hobbyists. So how have things changed since then in your perspective? Well, let's see. I mean, we started in 89, the early nineties saw a, a scene where there was tons of innovation going on and, all a lot of it in in garages and yeah. you know it was just really amazing to see all the CNC and then all the all the purple parts and <laughs> purple anodized CNC whatever mm -hmm. and, and all made by tinkerers and mad scientists you know yeah. um and uh, so that, I mean, the early nineties were like that, but then I think the, like say Shimano and, and then SRAM, you know, really stepping up to the plate and 
making better and better mountain bike parts for, uh, you know, continuously improving them for many years. Mm -hmm. I mean, bikes work amazing, amazingly well right now. Yeah. I guess in some ways, you know, there was a lot, a lot more like character and I don't know, like weird innovation, uh, but the trade-off, you know, with getting rid of that or moving past that is that, well, I mean, at least now our bikes are more reliable and consistent. I mean, do you, do you think there's, I don't know, did we lose anything like in that transition from going from sort of hobbyist to, to this like mass produced and, you know, highly engineered and designed right. uh, mountain bikes? Well, I mean, it's not as fun anymore to write about bikes. I don't think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's they all, they're all so awesome. And, uh, yeah, thinking and, 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 tra and trails have become more awesome too. Like we used to yeah. ride when we started riding, we would ride in this mud and like every, <laughs> every ride was like stopping mid ride to pick all this mud out of your your chain stays and <laughs> yeah and your brakes and like just to keep the wheels turning and now because we were riding on illegal motorcycle trails and now mm -hmm. there's all these groomed trails everywhere right the bikes work perfectly and have disc brakes and just the just the right amount of suspension and, mm -hmm. but i think you know the the industry i don't know it's like it's like capitalism where it's kind of late stage and yeah, there isn't a whole lot more to get out of a bicycle, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. derailers and chains being like what 99% efficient or something. Uh, yeah. Well, could you have foreseen any of this? Like, like I, I'm fascinated by the early days of mountain biking and, you know, all these tinkerers like did, did you or anybody else kind of see this as like, this is so awesome that like everybody's going to want to do it. And you know, this is going to be a big industry and we're going to sell lots of bikes and it's going to be on TV and it's going to be, you know, all these places. Like, it, does that surprise you looking back that, that we landed kind of where we are? Well, nothing surprising anymore, but like, <laughs> um, I mean, we didn't imagine that we would, continue publishing magazines for 30 years. I mean, you could see the, the bigger companies just making these amazing and, you know, just every go round, you know, like this is working so much better, you know, like mm, yeah. just, just the amazing way, all the, you know, suspension is just like, you know, we went through all, all kinds of different suspension that, some of it wasn't that great. And now look, you know, it's, there's a few yeah. designs that, that all work pretty awesome. But, you know, I think the thing that's, you know, to speak to what's missing is it's, you know, the unfortunate thing is how much consolidation has occurred from an industry standpoint where there's, mm -hmm there's the big three bike companies and there's a big two component companies and it's all consolidated. And yeah, it, do you it, think that makes it harder for small brands or for people to like really innovate today? 
I, I don't know if there's much innovation to be had anymore, but I, I, I will say it makes it more, it has made it more difficult for us to have, you know, um, a diverse and wide ranging uh, set of uh, advertisers for our print magazine. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I imagine that it is stressful to put together a magazine every month and especially when you don't have a lot of resources like uh, like most publications these days. So were there ever any moments when you had to get like really creative to get a magazine out the door over the years? I mean, I pride myself on that, that we've always made our deadlines. Um, yeah, that's impressive in itself. There was never one where you're like, this is just not going to happen. Yeah. You, you still were able to do it. So yeah. what does that involve? I mean, today, I don't think people have an appreciation for that, like what level of stress that is or like, you know, the things that have to get done before you, you know, send it off to the printer. Well, I mean, I'm not. I was the owner of the company. I've always considered a communal effort and relied on the people around me to make it mm -hmm. awesome and make the deadline and make it work and you know, keep the paychecks coming. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I share that with, with a bunch of people. I've been fortunate to share that with a bunch of people over the years mm -hmm. and share that burden and also bring in new people to the, that can stay up late better than I can anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, when you uh, say new people, you mean like young people, young that... people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the early days. Yeah. The early days we, we'd go ride our bikes. We had a Thursday night ride and we'd go ride mm -hmm. until like 10, 11, 12 midnight. And, mm -hmm. You know, or a deadline and be up till 10, 11, 12 midnight and sleeping on the floor in the office and uh, yeah, <laughs> crazy times. But, you know, uh, we've always progressed to, to try and uh, be more pro and more legit and yeah. always in improving our processes and trying to, trying to be a good company, a good successful yeah. company. Well, and clearly everyone involved has to have a lot of passion, not just for the magazine or the business, but I mean, first and foremost, probably for the sport. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the thing that binds everyone together, I guess. For sure. So Dirt Rag was always known as kind of an outlier among mountain bike media uh, because the magazine looked, looked so different from others and it covered these topics that were a lot different from the mainstream Again, getting back to that idea of sort of a community forum. So was there a sort of overall philosophy that, that you kept in mind to guide Dirt Rag's direction? Or did this sort of come naturally by like opening it up to, to other people? Right. Um, I mean, I've always treated it like it was bigger than it, it's not just about one person. It's not just about mm -hmm. me or or anyone, but it's a, uh, it's, it is a community yeah. and we make, we make magazines as a community and. Were there other magazines around at the time that you felt like maybe didn't have that sort of diversity of voices? Well, I mean, there was, 
mountain bike action, which um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was talking to Zap the other day, and he's like, you know, Mo, I, I was never really into dirt rag, but I really respect you a lot, and uh, you know, <laughs> and I. I <laughs> And I, I want to say the same thing, you know, I, you know, there was my yeah. bike action and I didn't, I wasn't really into it as much as right. I respect uh, Zap and all his hard work. You know, I was just like, eh, what is this? Yeah. So, so <laughs> SoCal nonsense, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the one I was reading was uh, mountain bike for the adventure and that got purchased by Rodale. Um, mm. And they, you know, they kind of squandered the mountain bike opportunity, I thought, because they would fold it into bicycling or make it separate or, right. you know, it wasn't successful enough for them to have it be a magazine by itself. So that was unfortunate because I did like, you know, th- their style was more suited to my style mm-hmm. but uh and then uh you know the real the real inspiration was charlie kelly uh the publisher of the fat tire flyer yeah. which is like our, the closest thing to uh, a mentor that i can say i have um yeah but uh, charlie heard about us early on and uh sent me a pile of magazines of fat tire flyers and i was like Dude, this, you're doing the same thing over in <laughs> Fairfax, California. Wow, and you're like, and you, you're, a, you're kind of a hippie like me, and <laughs> and you've got that same kind of attitude, you know, a little bit of uh, irreverence and uh, snark, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that guy would be the, the inspiration. Speaking of these different voices and things um, and the sort of the culture that you were able to cover with Dirt Rag, what are some of the like most far out, like unique stories that Dirt Rag published over the years? Well, uh, you know, we published poetry, we published uh, fiction. We had a, uh, for many years, we had a fiction contest. Mm-hmm. And that was super fun. I, I don't really have favorite children. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there were yeah. some co- there were some covers that were really amazing. Um, I loved, you know, I loved the one that we we got we bunch we got a bunch of from so called Christians uh, about putting the devil on the on the front cover. That was fun. <laughs> Yeah, and that was controversial. Controversial, uh, you know. A good controversy is always fun. Um, yeah, uh, we had uh, Christine Beggy's legs on the cover that one time. Did did that get you in trouble? Uh, well, it wasn't safe for Walmart. I can tell you that. And <laughs> we, uh, well, that's impressive. I mean, we wanted to, like, you know you know, dirt rag has been available on the newsstand for many years. And, um, that's part of the reason you would see like words on the cover and not just art, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or you'd, you know, see some generic photograph of a guy riding a bike just to attract new readers on the newsstand. 
And, okay. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that was us pandering to a new audience uh, <laughs> trying to grow. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, I think Christine, Christine Beggy's legs, we got a couple of returns on that one. <laughs> not, yeah. That's not, not safe for family. It is really incredible to see sort of the freedom that you had, you know, being an independent publisher and, and being able to try all these different things. And, you know, part of it is, is trying it because you're trying to see if it works. And then part of it is just because it's something you think is cool. And, you know, you don't know if anybody else thinks it's cool. Did that help you along the way? Or, or did that make it more fun for you to, to be able to be independent in that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the only way to go, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you never considered selling or, you know, never felt like, oh, man, you know, those guys that, you know, bicycling, they got this big parent company and like that, that must be nice to have sort of those resources and that kind of thing. Or, or did you always kind of know like that was not the path that you wanted to take? Well, it, it's, it's about what the thing is, you know, dirt. it's about what dirt rag is. Mm -hmm. And if dirt rag became bicycling, then it wouldn't be dirt rag. Right. And that's kind of where, why, why we are where we are today. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a thing that has a life and, uh, wasn't really interested in changing it for the, for the sake of, uh, profit, but, um, mm -hmm. Well, what challenges do you see for mountain bike media today, especially when it comes to traditional mediums like print? Oh, it's very challenging. Um, you know, the, the, the decline in print advertising has been slow and steady until this year. Going into January, we just didn't have the commitments that we needed to be able to deliver for the year. Um, mm -hmm. Getting back to like consolidation, there's only a few companies left that would even be able to buy print advertising, and mm -hmm. and a lot of those people are taking control of their own message through PR, right? Um, and that doesn't leave a lot of space for independent journalism. Do you see like a similar drop? I mean, it sounds like advertising um, has been dropping for some time and, and maybe is accelerating in terms of, of advertisers moving away from that medium. Are subscribers moving away as well? I mean, are people that much less interested in print today or, or has that been more gradual? We've kept our subscriber numbers up pretty consistent, but a lot hmm. of them um, did move to a digital version of the magazine. So yeah, the demand is still there. The eyeballs are there. Do you think the advertisers are, are seeing other mediums or, you know, it sounds like maybe they're investing a lot of their marketing budgets in, you know, doing their own sort of PR or, you know, maybe, I mean, reaching consumers directly too, I guess. Well, a lot of our difficulties and I, and I've kind of, I've been kind of slagging on PR firms a little bit because, uh, I feel like they were taking our funding away, but, um, you know, the, 
the bigger answer is that people selling things want more metrics and they want control of the message mm -hmm. and they want it delivered in the most financially preferable way. Um, basically I'm saying it's all about the money. Um, <laughs> right. You know, as more consolidation happens, then there's fewer companies and then they, they become public and they have stockholders and it's all about the money. Mm -hmm. It's all about the money. And our failing was, and it's kind of a failing and it's kind of like a stand, standing on firm ground, but you know, our website didn't really make money because we didn't really come up with a way to make it, uh, to, mm -hmm. uh, a way to monetize it, you know? Um, yeah. Um, that kind of gets at another question that I wanted to ask you. And, and this is something too, I guess, that a lot of readers don't recognize, but you know, when you, when you go on a website, it's ad supported, right? So you're not paying for a subscription. And so everything that's on that website is there, you know, kind of to influence you or to advertise to you. So do you think, are there problems with this model, like with a publication being 100% ad supported versus something where, you know, the readers are putting something into it so they can get sort of a more independent or like unbiased view of things? Well, there are some magazines that charge, you know, $12 a copy that are, mm -hmm. and that's reader supported and that you know, yeah. in that scenario, they are able to maintain their independence, but I never wanted to go that direction. I wanted to keep the price of the magazine around six bucks and have it be available to more, more people and not have it be mm -hmm. like super expensive. So you got right. some journals out there that are pretty awesome, but they cost a good bit of money. They're printed on really nice paper and stuff. But, um, I'm thinking even in terms of online publications, you know, including including single tracks. I mean, one of the things that we did for years was charge for certain, you know, sort of like premium content. And, you know, with the Internet, people just see like everything is free everywhere. Right. So if, if I can't get it for free on this site, I'm going to go somewhere where I can get it for free. Sure. Um, but then on those other sites, what ends up happening is, you know, those sites have to make money somehow. And so the way they're going to do that is they're going to, you know, take sponsored posts or they're going to, you know, mm -hmm. um, sell things and, and take a cut of that. And there's all kinds of these things now where, where what you're reading is really just a big advertisement. I mean, the whole thing is, is supported by the advertisers driven by advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it seems like that's kind of where we are today. And, and, the readers kind of unwittingly are, are part of that. I mean, they're, they're voting with their eyeballs to say like, you know, I don't value this enough to pay for it myself. Right. Um, I'll just, I'll just let the advertisers cover it and, and what they're getting in return perhaps is not, is not as good. This is true. I, I send, I send the New York times $4 a month to support their mm -hmm. journalism. I have been, but that's like the first time I've like paid for, <laughs> to get through a paywall. Not that they're the yeah. greatest journalists around, 
but they're 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 not quite independent enough for me. But um, you know, but they're trying at yeah, least, they're, they're, right? I mean, yeah, I feel like we have to. Yeah, I feel like we have to at least recognize that, and and yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I've I've got a local sort of newspaper or not a newspaper, it's an online uh, website, and yeah, it's the same thing where mm-hmm. it's like these. It takes a lot of work to do this stuff, and if you want to get good information, you know, sometimes you have to yeah. you have to pay for it. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, uh, back to the sponsored content. You know, we had a lot of problem problems with that. Just trying to come up with the, uh, you know, stuff we could sell to advertisers that, ins- while still maintaining some journalistic integrity, and it was super difficult. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought I had some good ideas on how we could make that happen, but it just kind of didn't go over, and it just, it just got, <laughs> you know, it just became so contentious, and. Mm-hmm. It's just like, no, that's not why we started this thing. Whether it's print right. or web, we didn't start it to like do sponsored content, you know, that you can, <laughs> that you can right. get metrics and, 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 and move the needle. That's the one that really killed me. <laughs> you know, when, when one of my, one of my friends in the industry told me to move the needle, I was like, oh, great. Not moving any needles for you, okay? Right. I mean, as a journalist, that's not not really your job. I mean, it's to move the needle of your reader, I guess, but not not for the company. The idea of supporting the reader has been is 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 kind of lost. The effort to move the needle and provide metrics and build your email lists. And and it seems too that readers are rightfully so becoming more skeptical about what they're reading and sort of the motivations behind that. For us, it's like people read a story and you know they go right to the comment section and say like how much how much are you getting paid to write this and that's frustrating as a journalist right to to have people like not trust you for whatever reason you know it's because they read another publication that maybe plays loose with the rules or, mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. Would people question sort of the stories that, that you chose to do? And did you ever sort of experience that? Or, or do you think people always kind of recognize dirt rag for being different and for upholding like a different set of standards? Well, I mean, as we tried to pander, you know, as time has been going on the last few years, we've been pandering and pandering more you know, to the industry mm-hmm. to like give us money. So we keep going and I can't say that's been successful. And I can't say that that's really kept the reader loving dirt rag for what it, what it was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, that, that's, that's the really, the really sad, the sad thing is trying to pander and then having it not working and, just being yeah. like, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, I think that speaks to the authenticity though, that you do have when, when you can't even pander correctly. Right. Like, like no. it's, it's not even, you, you can't fake it. Yeah. And so we weren't, yeah. yeah, we were just not good at it. I mean, you've kind of hinted at it. We've kind of talked about it, but 
people are wondering exactly why Dirt Rag decided to stop. Was was there one thing that that you finally just said like, you know, this is this is just not going to work going forward? Well, you know, we have these events, or we did have these events, Dirt Fests, uh, one in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, one in West Virginia. It was a great thing to uh, it. Oh, it just brought so much community to the to the to the yeah. tribe, you know, or to the community. And um, <laughs> ten years, it was just a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful thing to really get live human beings riding their bikes, listening to music, mm. having a beer. Oh, it was so yeah. good. Campfire. <laughs> so anyway. Um, you know, we, uh, were opening registration in December for these festivals and folks in using that money to get through the spring and then selling ad contracts, hopefully to get through the second half of the year and Mm -hmm. ad contracts were not coming in. Uh, We were down, Hmm. we were down like by a third of where we were last year in terms of uh, ad sales in general. Um, our title sponsor wasn't calling us back for the festivals. And, uh, wow. you know, my financial guy was just like, Hey, you know, we got enough money to make payroll until the end of February. Like, okay. Sounds like we're done. Finally. Was it a surprise to you? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I, you know, I put some part of my savings back into the company in the last couple of years just to try and keep it alive. Mm. And, uh, yeah. you know, I reached, reached a limit as to, uh, <laughs> to that. And, uh, there was, you know, there was, so we decided to go bankrupt and the whole, you know, when you do that, it's the reason you do that is because you don't want to dig yourself in a deeper hole than you are already in. Right. And, um, you know, basically we have subscribers. Um, that's, uh, that's a debt. You know, that's, those are creditors. We owe them magazines mm-hmm. and, right. uh, and that, and that, and we just were unable to fulfill that our part of the bargain in the mm-hmm. future. So, um, there you have it. I really, yeah, I can't tell you how much how supportive ninety nine percent of our subscribers have been about what's happened to us, and we're getting a lot more love letters than hate letters, and I sure appreciate that very much. Yeah. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot of heartfelt responses to the closure of Dirt yeah. Rag, and a lot of people, you know, were saying is their favorite mountain bike magazine of all time. Like, how did it feel to hear those comments after the decision was announced? Like, were you getting all that love up until that point? Or was this sort of like kind of too little too late? Well, no, I mean, I have always known that people liked us and loved us. That's good. It's good to know that you're I mean, there are, uh, you know, there are a few people who didn't support us that were like, Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they kind of didn't know what they got till it's gone, but, uh, that's okay. That's yeah. okay. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I always find it ironic, you know, to see like, like when Michael Jackson passed away or Kobe Bryant and you see all these like outpourings of like all this love and, and you wonder like, did the person know at the time, like how much they were loved? And, and yeah, I mean, would that have made a difference? Do you think like in terms of, in terms of your staff and like, and you personally sort of feeling, feeling like you were, you're doing something that people really appreciated? Yeah. 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 It's been great. So do you think it's it's more difficult to be a journalist today than perhaps, you know, a decade ago or even when you were starting out? Yeah, but I mean, the journalism is losing the war on truth, if you ask me. Um, hmm. And, you know, you can listen to some ex-mountain bike publisher complain and be bitter about the industry. But if you look at the highest level of what's happening in the world, there is like... There is a real struggle for uh, for facts, mm. yeah. You know? And uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about artificial intelligence or that uh, that chip that you're holding in your hand and you you're chipping on like a monkey with your thumbs, and you know <laughs> how that how that device is going to be implanted in your in your wrist in a few years and. Yeah getting absorbed by robots and yeah, all kinds of great conspiracy <laughs> theories there, buddy. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, again, I'm, I'm about free thought. And... Well, yeah. I mean, what do you see as the role for journalists, especially in the mountain bike industry um, and in this current media landscape where there's, you know, influencers and brands and even retailers are creating content how does a mountain bike journalist stand out and how are they different from sort of those other? Groups? If I knew that, uh, I'd still be in business. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. It's, it's not easy times. No. Well, would you, would you start dirt rag in 2020? No. I mean, it's an, an anachronism. Is that the right word? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of what? In terms of the like the physical distribution of it, or in terms of like the ideas that it you know sort of always represented. Well, there's a struggle for, uh, and you know, keeping it real is a full time job. I don't know who gave me that mm -hmm. quote, but it's I like I like I like repeating <laughs> it. Um, Good one. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you think it's, it's a hard, like if, yeah, for young people who are starting out, maybe um, it seems like the draw of like YouTube or social media or, you know, it seems like the tools there make it easier than ever. But I guess the question is like, is, is there space or like, is there interest in this kind of idea, right? Of a, of a forum of a, a free thinking, like mountain bike publication. Could that even exist today? Well, maybe if it's a subscriber supported. Yeah. I haven't been, I haven't been reading like, uh, what is it? Free hub comes to mind. Mm. Um, I don't know how much pandering they have to do. I haven't read them in a while, but they're like, <laughs> you know, I think they're, they, they draw inspiration from us. I think. So what's next for you? Um, 
looking for uh, my next uh, next something something to do. Keep working. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been doing some gardening part time with a buddy of mine a little bit. Uh, nice. Another, my neighbor's got a metal shop. I was over there helping him drill some holes yesterday. Yeah, still riding some bikes. Sounds like those two things, two or three things, you know, are about doing stuff with your hands. Like, is that something you kind of, were you able to do much of that as publisher of Dirt Rag? And, and is this like kind of a shift to like, you know, get out of your head? And oh, like, yeah. I like being outside and um, I don't like looking at screens so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not much, to, not not too much good in there. Yeah, it's a tough one to avoid these days, for sure. It seems like that's that's the way everything is going. Well, thanks, Maurice, so much for joining us. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and, and giving us sort of the the history and the backstory of Dirt Rag. And um, I know I and and all of our listeners as well really appreciate everything that Dirt Rag has done for mountain bike culture and the way that you were able to to cover that. So thank oh, you. you bet. Thanks a lot. Well, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.